Amen. If you turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 12, the first two verses this morning. You know, there's a story of an old, uh, an old uh, captain, an old man of the sea, and he had uh, been many a times around the world in, uh, in sailing. And uh, he had a great crew that uh, was loyal to him, and he didn't do all the things that were to know of the sea. And one time he was uh, sailing, and it was in the middle of the night, and he was on his watch. And as he was uh, sailing through the night, he noticed the, uh, a bright light that was shining ahead of him. So he gets on his, uh, his radio, and he tries to uh, contact the, uh, the ship that's in front of him. And he says, uh, adjust your course. Ten knots to the west. And then the voice on the other side of the radio comes back. No, you adjust your course. Ten knots to the east. And this kind of, uh, this kind of put the old captain off. And he said that, uh, he said, uh, this is El Capitan John Pierre Marc Carrez III, a fourth generation sailor. Adjust your course ten degrees to the west. Voice came back over the radio. Well, this is John Smith. Accord, adjust your course 10 knots to the east. And this really, really made him mad. And so he gets back on the radio. He said, I am a mighty, mighty merchant vessel. Adjust your course 10 knots to the west. A little while later, the voice came back over the radio, over the, uh, radio that said, I am a lighthouse. Adjust your course 10 knots to the east. Regardless of how big we think we are or what type of reputation that we have, we all need to conform our life to the image of the presence of God. And this month, this, uh, this next, uh, this today, we're going to begin a, a series, a series as we look through Romans chapter 12. And the title of our series is So What? And if you look through the book of Romans, uh, Paul has dealt with many questions. And one of the first questions that he dealt with was, why do we need salvation? And we do the answer to that of why do we need to be saved is because that we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God and we're all without excuse. And then the next question he dealt with was, how are we saved? By what method are we saved? And we learned that it was not by... uh, our works, but by the grace of God, because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so then we begin to ask ourselves the question about what really happens to us when we're saved. And he talked in that great chapter, in uh, chapter 8, talking about how the Spirit indwells us and all the benefits of the Spirit and how the Spirit intercedes for us and how the Spirit preserves us and how the Spirit protects us in our faith and in our, in our weakness. In those great ver- uh, words that we hear at the end of that chapter, that nothing can separate us from the glory of God. And then we heard some great chapters in 10, uh, 9, 10, and 11 talking about God's plan and God's working through salvation all through history from when he gave the promise of Abraham until finally he delivered us salvation through Jesus Christ. And so as we think about now of having this relationship with Jesus Christ, and now that we have been saved, we ask ourselves the question, so what? 
what does it mean to be saved or what happens to us when we're saved and what changes in our life, if any, does it mean for us to be saved? And so chapter 12 answers this question, so what? And so as we look at the book of Romans, the first two chapters, it answers that first question for us or it begins to answer that question for us, so what? So what does it mean to be saved? So let's read Romans Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, I mean, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We're so grateful, Lord, just for your word, Lord, and how it guides us in our life, Lord. And as we spend just a few moments in your scripture this morning, Lord, I pray that our hearts are open. And, Lord, that you will transform our hearts and our lives, Lord, and that we seek to not be like we used to be. Lord, not only just not seek to be like we used to be before we came to to know you as our personal Lord and Savior, Lord, but not seek to be how we were last month or last week. Lord, as you just continually and daily change our hearts and change our lives until you glorify us when we're called into your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So what? I'm a Christian, so what? So give yourself to the Lord. Give yourself to the Lord. Isn't that what he's asking us to to do? Because he tells to us, I beseech you, or I appeal to you. I come before you, therefore. And he gives the authority by which he comes to you and to which he's going to make this request. And the authority of it is by the mercies of God or through the mercies of God or since God has shown you mercy to do this. And that's the source of of the authority of our changed life. Since God has given himself for us, since God has erased us our debts, since God has shown us mercy, this is what we ought to do. And what he's doing in saying this is that he's now showing God's ownership in our hearts and our lives. Is that now we are God's. We are not our own, but we are bought with a price. And he gave this imagery to us even from the beginning when he brought the children of Israel uh, out of Egypt. And we know the the last uh, plague that came and that it came on the firstborn. But God allowed a sacrifice to be made. And if the blood was covered on your doorpost, then that death angel would pass over you. And so when they came out of the wilderness, God says to them, I own you. You are now my people. I have brought you since I have shown you the grace and since I've shown you the salvation, you are now my people and I am now your God. And so he wants to set that type of a relationship for us that since God has shown his mercy to us in gratitude to that, in appreciation to that, and to the reality to the fact that now we are his, I want you to do this, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, I want us to think in the Old Testament how there was demanding 
that they bring sacrifices and they were to bring to God things. They were to bring to God animals. They were to bring to God the lambs and the goats and the sheep and the rams and the turtle doves and all those things. And they were to bring fine flour and fine oil and uh, they were to bring the, the temple taxes and the tithes and the offerings, and they were to bring God things. But even from all of that, even in the midst of the Old Testament, God wanted them to know that I don't want things from you, but rather I want you. I want your life. I want every fiber of your being. And he says, I want you to present yourselves. I want you to present your bodies. I want to present your heart. I want you to present your time. I want you to present your emotions. I want you to present your assets and the things that I have given to your life. I want you to sacrifice. I want you to give them to me. I want you to be a living sacrifice. You know, many people would say that I love Jesus so much that if people came to me and, you know, they finally, uh, you know, the, the government or whoever cracked down and made me make the decision uh, to, uh, you know, uh, say that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ or die, that I would die for Jesus, that I would give my life for Jesus. And a lot of times we would be willing to give our life if it meant to cost our life and it meant of a sacrifice of our life. But how many of us, while we're living, give our lives to Jesus? How many of us, while we are still living, each and every day, give our hearts and lives to Jesus? How many times do we seek in our life to follow Him? How many times do we volunteer ourselves to be used by Him? How many times do we lay ourselves down in the decisions that we make to actually give our lives to Jesus? Because that's what he wants for us. He wants us, to, he wants us to give the very essence of our being, the totality of who we are, into his service, into his kingdom, into his, his, uh, his, all the things that he's given us. He wants us to lay all that into him. But you know what? We always want to hold something back. We always want to have the, uh, the salvation but we all want to hold on to our lives. We'll give God our faith and we will trust him for our salvation. But you know what? We don't give ourselves. He says, I want to, uh, you lay down your bodies, uh, as, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Set yourself before God and say, here I am. I give you to it all. It may not be much. It may be broken down. It may be stumbling. It may be uh, about to fall apart. There may not be much left up in it, but Lord, whatever's still there, Lord, is yours. He says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. When you made a sacrifice to the temple, you couldn't just bring any old thing. You couldn't just bring any old lamb. You couldn't just bring any old sheep. You couldn't bring just any old ox. You just couldn't bring any old lamb. But it had to be spotless. And it had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. And so what God wants for us in our life is to present ourselves to him holy and acceptable. And now we know that none of us are perfect. 
And all of us have spots and all of us has, have blemishes. But a lot of times we'll use that as a, as a crutch. We'll use that as an excuse to just simply say that, you know, I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect, so I'm just going to let it be what I am. But what God has for us in our lives is that He has called us to be holy. He has called us to be perfect. He has called us to be acceptable in, uh, in, our, in His sights. And that should be our daily uh, our daily striving in our life. That should be what we seek out in our hearts, in our lives. When we see areas in our life that we know that aren't acceptable to God, we need to change them. But instead, we just brush over them and say that it's okay. You know, many people thought when they asked this question about what does it mean for me to be saved? Since I am saved, so what? What kind of manner of life should I live? And a lot of the answers that Paul dealt with with people would say that since, you know, I'm free for the law, since I have Jesus, I don't have to worry about uh, keeping up with God's standards anymore. I don't worry, have to worry about keeping the law anymore, so I just don't need to worry about it. And then many of the other people say, though, well, since that I have Jesus Christ in my heart and since I have grace, then I can just live whatever life I want to. But Paul lets us know that that's not the proper response what Jesus has done for us. But the proper response for us is that since Jesus Christ has died for us, since he has shown us his mercy, then we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. Are you, have you uh, laid your body? Have you really given yourself fully to God? Have you sought in your heart and your life to be more like God each and every day? Or do you just simply say, God will just take whatever I give him? You know, whatever I give to God, he should just be glad he's got that much. Too many times, if we are be honest, that's the way we do. Because we want to worship God, we want to love God, we want to serve God on our own terms. We'll do it when it's convenient. We'll do it when we can get something out of it. We will do it when it benefits us. But how many of us have really lived and laid ourselves down and given our lives to God? We present ourselves as a living, sacrificed, holy, and acceptable God, for this is the spiritual act of worship. This is your spiritual act. This is the least that we could do for Jesus. This is really what it means for us to worship. What did Jesus tell the woman at the, mail, uh, the, woman at the well? He said that we will worship God in the time that we will worship God in spirit and in truth. And we worship in the spirit in the sense that we have given ourselves and we have given our lives to God. And so worship isn't just about songs that we sing. It's not just about raising hands. It's not just about these different postures that we do. It's not just about coming to church. But the way that we worship God and the way that God truly wants to worship us to worship Him is by giving our hearts and lives to Him and by obeying Him in our life. It's good for us to worship. It's good for us to come and sing. It's good for us to come to church on Sunday. It's good enough for us to uh, 
to raise our hands. It's good for us to come here and to pray together. But what God really wants out of us is us. And so this morning, we dedicate ourselves to giving God our all, to giving him every aspect of life that we seek in our hearts and our lives to be holy just as he is holy. But then he goes on to give himself. He said, I don't want you to be, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You know, it's so easy for us to be conformed. There's such a tendency inside of us that we want to be just like the people who are around us. And even those of us that may think that we are deviant and rebellious. I remember in, uh, in high school, you know, you were probably just like me. You know, you were in a group of rebels. You know, you weren't going to follow the rules. Y'all were going to be different than everybody else. And so you're in this group, and y'all dressed the same, y'all looked the same, y'all did the same thing. But yet you're a rebellious group. And conformity is so easy for us. And a lot of times in our life that conformity can come to us as believers in a subtle way that as we may seek to uh, be like the people, in order to relate to the people, in order to share Jesus with the people, we subtly just become just like them. But the Scripture says for us that we do not be conformed to this world. We do not imitate what the world is doing. We do not look to the world for advice. We do not look to the world for wisdom. We do not look to the world on how we are to live our lives, but rather we are to be transformed. In other words, you are to be turned into something new. You are to be transformed. You're not to be a reformed, fixed-up version of you, but you're to be something completely new. You're not to be like Miss Ann's truck back there. You know, Miss Ann went deer hunting in her, in her truck a couple of weeks ago, and it got all, uh, it got all messed up. And so uh, she takes it down to the body shop, and they get a new bumper on there, and they try to fix it up, and they, I think they just, it took them like a day, so I think they just put some duct tape on it. <laughs> but anyway, that's a, that is a fixed up, that is a reformed version the same truck that she's already had. And a lot of times that's like us in our Christian life. We seek to become just more improved, less roughed up versions of ourselves. And we think that's what it means for us to be Christians. But what it means for us to be Christians, what it means to us to be followers of Christ, that we be transformed. We come, become something different. We become something new. We become a new creation that is unrecognizable from the way that we used to live our lives. He said, I want you to be transformed. I want you to become something new. And how does that newness come? It comes by the renewing of your mind. We have to, as Christians, change the way that we think. You know, before we were saved, we just thought about temporal things. You know, that there was this life and there was nothing else. But when we became Christians, when we started following Christ, we started thinking in terms of eternity. And that changed the way, changes the way that we think. And it changes the way that we make decisions. 
You know, we used to just think about ourselves and getting the things that make us happy. But then once we realize that, uh, that God has forgiven us our debts, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. And Christ, as calling us to live for him, calls us to be a servant to all. We change our minds. When we were in the old ways before we knew Jesus, if you treated me good, I treat you good. If you treated me bad, I treated you bad. And that's the way that we did. But since Jesus loved me, yet even while I was a sinner, I now love those who even don't love me. Let me rephrase that before people start coming up and giving testimonies. I try to love people that don't love me. <clears throat> and so we always have to think in our life that God is transforming us. He's transforming us in the most fundamental level because he's changing the way that we think. He's changing the way that we see the world. He's changing the way that we see God. And the more that we understand of him, the greater we grasp of him, and the more we learn of him and his word as we study, and that's a great big part of the transforming of your mind as you read into the scripture for what God is telling us what we need to be and what we ought to be and who God is and how we relate to God. And as we read more of that, and as it transforms our mind, it renews us, it strengthens us, it changes us, it renews us in our mind that through testing, we may discern the will of God. That's really a hard thing for us to do, If there's a number one question you'll get as a Christian, if there's a number one question you'll get as a preacher, people will ask you, what is the will of God for my life? Or they may ask it in a more specific question. They'll say, well, you know, I'm thinking about this person. Is this the person I need to be with? Is this the job that I, I, I need to take? Is this where I need to move? Is this where I need to go? And they're asking all of these questions. And I can't answer a single one of them. All these years, people are asking these specific questions about their specific lives, and I can't answer it for them. I wonder how I'm still a preacher here. I can't answer nobody's questions because those, are, those type of questions, only questions that you can answer in your heart, in your relationship with God. But a lot of times we're Christians, we're mentally lazy, aren't we? We don't want to have to go through the trouble of developing a relationship and spending time with God in prayer and working out through things in our life to discern for our own self and to test in our own life what God wants us to do. We want somebody else to tell us. It's time for us as believers to stop being lazy. It's time for us to, as believers to start stop expecting other people to answer our questions and to realize that God has provided a way since He and His Spirit is in us personally and since he is transforming our minds as we go throughout the scripture, that we, we do the hard work for ourselves. Because God will talk to you just like he'll talk to me. And God can speak to you through the scripture. 
just like he can speak to me. And God can answer those questions in your heart and your life for you better than what I can for you and your life. I got my own problems. I got to work out. And I can't be lazy in my own heart and my own life. That I have to seek God for his direction in my life. And I have to sort out the questions about where to go and what to do and work out decisions in my life. But it recomes as the renewing of my mind as I allow God to transform me in the way that I think. As I seek to his His, uh, his scripture and as I test things of whether or not they're not uh, from God or whether this is what he wants me to do now. And through thy testing and trial and error, I can figure out what God wants me to be. Sometimes I'll get it wrong and I'll realize I got it wrong. Then I'll do something else. But through that process, I come to know what God desires for me in my life. What God's will is for me in my life. Your Bible may say it differently. Some of the versions put the good and acceptable, perfect with will, that we're discerning God's perfect and acceptable and good will in our hearts and our lives. And some, as the ESV say, you know, it's God's will, and then we decide what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. But even though they may say it differently, they're all saying the same thing. Because what it is that we are testing, what it is that we are discerning, is what God wants for us in our life. What does God want for you? What does God want for me? Well, we know that God wants us to be different. We know that God wants us to be transformed. We know that God wants him to be, us to be more like him. We know that God wants us to give him his life, to give, to give him our lives. But what does that mean? What does that mean in our daily life? What does it mean for our walk? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for Ann? What does it mean for Jerry? What does it mean for any of you here? It's a question that we have to work out in our hearts in our lives. And what he works in my life is not going to be what he works in your life. It's fundamentally the same. We know in Scripture there are things that I should be doing. There are things that I should not be doing. But on a very practical, everyday level, how God decides to guide each and every one of us as he works through us and our talents and our abilities and where he wants us to be can be different. And it requires for each and every one of us to do some work, some doing work and discerning and spending time in God's word and spending time in prayer and spending time consulting other believers to try to give us a hint or to give us a clue to how God wants to work in each and every one of our lives. But the first thing that we have to do is desire in our hearts in our minds, that I am going to give myself to God completely. I'm not just going to give a little bit. I'm not just going to give my Sundays. 
I'm not just going to give when I get in a bind. I'm not going to give it when I just need in trouble, when I get in trouble. I'm not going to do it when it just profits me. But since God has given himself for me, since God gave the life of his sons for my sins, because of his mercy that brought me salvation, and because of his mercy that he still deals with me daily, I lay myself before God. I give myself to God as a sacrifice. And I pray that my life would be holy and acceptable to him. What is your desire this morning? Do you desire to give your whole self to God? Do you desire to surrender your life to him? Do you desire to surrender your will to his will? God has saved us. And so God owns us. We belong to him because of the price he paid. So this morning, let's give ourselves to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the things that you've blessed us with. Lord, I just thank you for the grace, Lord, and the gift that comes through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that in light of that, all of us will surrender our hearts and lives to you this morning, that we give you ourselves completely and fully to do with us whatever it is you will. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's send and send.